I'm not going to sing, so I'll put that music book down. And I hope you brought your sack lunches. I've got a lot to share with you today. Last week, we looked at the first God surprise in Luke's gospel account of the Christmas story. It was a story of Zechariah, a priest in the temple. And he and his wife, an older couple, who had prayed for decades for a child, were surprised. Surprised by God. Surprised with a pregnancy and old age. And judging by some of the feedback I got this week, many of you are not praying for that or praying for that not to occur. But surprise! In today's story, six months later, and God isn't done with his surprises yet. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts truly be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our Redeemer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And so Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, is on another mission. And this mission, he's racking up the frequent flyer miles. He's going to drop in on a community and drop in on a special person. And I believe that our text raises a couple of important questions for us to kind of think about and wrestle with this morning. Because I believe that those questions of that day are equally as pertinent for us today. The first one, I believe, is kind of implied in our text. We don't see it directly. But as people on the periphery of this community catch wind of the latest gossip, they're asking about this Mary, this teenage girl in their community, and who are you that God should choose you? Who are you that you should be the vessel of God's unfolding plan for the salvation of humankind? You're a nobody. You're a nobody teenager. What, what, what? You're from a little armpit town called Nazareth. You're from a podunk region called Galilee. How is it that salvation will come through you? Who are you? And to us, 2,000 years later, we don't appreciate what Mary's contemporaries would have been feeling about this news as it's unfolding, this turn of events in their community. In verse 26 of our text, God sent Gabriel to Nazareth in Galilee. Surprise! I don't imagine anything earth-shaking that had happened there for a long time unless there was perhaps an earthquake. 2,000 years after the fact, we don't appreciate much more than the people of that day what was happening. You see, Galilee was a region to the north of the Sea of Galilee, about 70 miles north of, uh, of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was kind of the main hub of activity. It was the place where there were um, just all sorts of advantages and wealth, and the temple was there for worship. The Galileans, on the other hand, well, this was a region that had a terrible reputation. 
The Galileans were seen as uneducated. They were seen as simple folk. They were seen as backward, uncivilized, a podunk part of the Middle East. They were hicks. Judea, that's the place to be, the center of commerce, the highbrow, the culture, the religiously correct. But it gets worse. You were really at the bottom rung of the ladder if you were from the armpit village in that podunk region, and that village was called Nazareth. Because outside of the region, Nazareth was spoken of with disdain. It was spoken of derogatorily. Today, it's different. Nazareth is a thriving city. But then it was a village, never mentioned in the Old Testament, And in the New Testament, its only distinction was being a trade route, a camel stop between Sidon and Jerusalem. In John chapter 1, there's an interesting conversation that takes place when Philip tells Nathanael of Jesus. He had just met Jesus, and he he wants to share with him about this. And Nathanael's response was, Nazareth? You can read in John chapter 1, verse 46. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? Surprise! God delights in surprising us. And so Gabriel goes to Galilee. Gabriel goes to Nazareth. Gabriel goes to this nobody teenage girl. And it's thought that girls in biblical times probably didn't reach their menstrual cycle until about 16 to 18 years old. So she's 17, 18 perhaps. And you might be thinking, oh, she must have been a very important person. Maybe that was it. Well, she was born of the line of King David, but then a lot of people were. She also was engaged to a tradesman named Joseph, but that's about it. That's about all we know. Surprise! A nobody teenage girl from an armpit village in a podunk region. Merry Christmas! I think Mary probably had questions very similar to her contemporaries in the village around her. But look at her response in our text in verse 28. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And what was Mary's response? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. She was greatly troubled, like Zachariah six months earlier. What troubled her? It was the greeting that Gabriel gave to her. She was highly favored. So so that leads to a second question that not only is everybody else in the community asking, who is this Mary? Who are you? But I think Mary kind of is questioning herself. Who am I? Who am I that an angel of the Lord would come and appear to me? Who am I that I would be greatly favored? That I would be asked? That I would be visited by an angel? I mean, Questions still exist today. When God touches our lives, our hearts, we often raise questions about that ourselves. When we suspect that God is calling us to do something for us, well, there's always the naysayers, those that don't believe that we're capable or should have been contacted, and they're saying, who are you? Who are you? Or by our own self-doubt where I'm saying, who am I, Lord? I I don't know. I've never done anything like this before. This is out of my comfort zone. But what if, what if God wanted you 
to be a pastor. I can remember in youth ministry, 30 plus years of youth ministry, when young people would come up to me and say, you know, I'm feeling a call to be a youth pastor like you are. I think God wants me to do that. And I can remember sitting down sometimes with parents and families and kind of talking this through a little bit. And the parents kind of, no, no, you'll never be able to afford to raise a family on that. <laughs> I think, what am I, chop liver? But they say, I want to be a pastor, or I'm feeling the call to be a missionary. I think God wants me to tell his story across an ocean. Or a a 62-year-old man that came to me one day and said, you know, I'm feeling the call of God to be a missionary and to go and give my life in that way. And all the people saying, oh, you're too young. Oh, no, you're too old. You're too this, that. So what if God wants to surprise a youth or a young family or an older, retired person? What if God lays it on the heart of somebody? We as a church family must nurture. We must encourage those God promptings in a person's heart and life. We can be so, well, kind of like this glass. We can be so half empty. Or we can be half full. My challenge to you is that each of us would be half full, that we would encourage and nurture. And then there's the self-doubters who say, who am I? The Lord couldn't possibly use me. You just have to turn back to the book of Exodus and read about uh, Moses when God asked him to do a special chore for the nation of Israel. He was full of excuses. If you ever need excuses someday, better than the dog ate my homework, turn to Exodus sometime and read about uh, Moses. And all of the excuses that he came up with. All the reasons why he was saying, I can't. I can't do this. I can't possibly. I find two answers in our text that should be our answers. Your answers. My answers. To God's challenges. The first one is that you have found favor. In verse 28 of our text, the Lord said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Some traditions hold that Mary uh, was so worthy and so righteous that the Lord chose her for this special task because she had kind of special standing spiritually. But I really beg to differ. Because as I look at the text and as I look at it in the Greek language, it appears to mean something different. The root word translated highly favored is the word grace. Grace. And grace is the outpouring of God's favor for no other reason than he desires to. For no other reason than that he delights to do so. Why, Mary? Because God wanted to. Out of God's grace, he wanted to bless her with this calling. And God's answer to Mary, God's answer to you and to me, when others ask, who are you? Who are you? Or when we ask ourselves, who am I that God should choose me? You are the beloved of God. You are the very grace of your Lord God. You are the hand-picked, specifically chosen, grace-gifted, precious child of God. You have found favor. God's answer squelches all the antagonists in the peanut gallery. You can rise to the occasion of God's call and say, I am a favored one of the Lord God. God has asked me. 
The second answer I find in Gabriel's uh, talk to Mary there in verses 30 through 37. Gabriel spells out God's incredible plan for her life. Think of the possible answers Mary might have given. You know, hey, I'm just a teenage girl, you know. Hey, I'm pregnant out of wedlock. That has some social stigma there, Lord. Have you thought of that? Or, you know, other excuses that we come up with of why we couldn't imagine that God would want us to do something for him. And I imagine Mary saying to the angel, thanks, but no thanks. Or perhaps responding, you know, I really appreciate the consideration, Lord God Almighty of heaven and earth, but I think I'm going to pass this time. But in verse 38, we read Mary's response as she says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary, uh, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word according to God's word. Basically, Mary was saying, whatever you want me to do, I'm ready, Lord, I'll do it. I trust you. Here I am, a servant of the Lord. Zechariah last week said to the angel Gabriel when he said that he was going to have this special task and special uh, uh, ministry through birthing a son in his old age, he said, prove it. Mary, on the other hand, says, I am yours, Lord. The question for us today is, what response will you give? What response will you give to your Lord? In verse 37, I don't know if you caught that, uh, kind of tucked away in the text there. And I don't like it as much in the NIV. It says, for no word from God will ever fail. Many translations have it that not for, with God, nothing is impossible. God, with God, nothing's impossible. He can even use Bill Goodwin. He can even use each one of you. He can even use Mary, a teenage girl from an armpit village in a podunk region. Because with God, nothing is impossible. So the question is, which response will you give to God's call, to God's urging, to God's challenges, to God's leading, to God's opportunities that he sets in your path of life? Are you willing to be used of God for his purposes? Am I willing to go or to move where God wants me to? Am I willing to tithe? And to give the 10% the Lord has asked? Am I willing to give a portion of my, Christian bo uh, my Christmas bonus check to his ministry? Am I willing to make a dent in the offering uh, over and above my normal giving that would help erase the $24,000 that we would like to make up by the end of the year so we can end in the black? Am I willing to share Jesus, each one, reach one, kind of our motto while I'm your interim lead pastor. Will you answer with Mary, here I am, a servant of the Lord. Let's pray.